everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. My name is Pastor John, and I have the joy of serving here. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm glad that summer is finally, like, we're starting to ease back into summer. I'm, le- I'm waiting for some of the springtime rain to settle down, because I don't know about you. I don't, I, I can't cut the grass more than once a week. It just, I just don't have that time. And I'm trying, I got to raise up. I've got an amazing grass-cutting crew that will be raised up. That crop will be here soon, but they're still just budding, so I don't want to have like crisscross patterns in the grass yet. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm excited for summer to come here. For those of you who came out to Tarkington Park last week, we had a great time just hanging out, just a casual time. Got just fun to see the kids running around the splash pad, talking to some uh, newer faces and reconnecting with some old ones. So uh, for those of you who came out last week, thank you. And then also... I just have to remind you, I know this will come up in the announcements later on, but next weekend is our family potluck. And if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about this. And these just moments are just great family building moments. And I want to encourage you, you know, come out, invite somebody, especially if there's somebody that's been on the fringe and they don't want to come to church because of Jesus, but they'll come because of food. Just go ahead and use food. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure that there are people when Jesus was walking the earth uh, that, that, you know, for the 5,000 people, I don't think all 5,000 were like hardcore, like signed up for a small group. Some of those people showed up because they heard there was free food. Or they was like, man, I heard this dude is like growing arms and dead or raising. Like, I got to check out the show. And so even the fringe people would show up for fish, fish and bread, right? So seriously, whatever invite people it's going to be great and then also sign up like right now we have like three people bringing sides and that's going to be a very lopsided spread so don't be intimidated you know i i will say this i want to give some people some freedom i'm gonna i'm gonna set some people free right now some of you you haven't signed up because of cultural condemnation pastor what are you talking about i understand that One of the beautiful things about building multi-ethnically is we bring all that we are to the party. Now, in some circles, especially if you've seen some videos, and if you come to my Owens family cookouts or one of the Owens family Thanksgivings, you you don't bring potato salad that's got weird things in it. You don't put blueberries in mac and cheese. No, you don't do that. You don't do that. However, we are building a multi-ethnic community. So, be free. Put the raisins in the coleslaw if you feel free. Bring, I'm telling you, if you're international, if you've got international back, bring your cultural dish, whatever it is. Be free to come. But the key is just don't be offended. And just know, if not everybody likes it, you get extra this next week. That's your lunch for these for this next four days. So just please, sign up. I'm serious. If you're single, if you're a single dude, don't just come up empty or don't come. Just go, go get a bag of chips at CVS. Okay, you can buy some chips. Or go get a $3 potato salad at Kroger. Whatever you got to do. But just come. Fellowship is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I don't want anybody to miss out on that. This morning, we're kicking off our series that is going to walk us through. We're going to be unpacking 1 John. Um, I want to give you guys a little bit of historical background on this. I I love during the summertime. It's a great time for us to kind of walk through a scripture for for several weeks. We'll be going through this series for the next seven, uh, seven weeks as we unpack this. And I think that what John is writing is very much applicable, applicable to our cultural context and even just where we are, not only as a specific church, but in the general body of Christ. 
So just to give you a little bit of background on this, again, anytime, whether it's myself preaching, my wife, David, or whoever else is up here, I really encourage you to have a Bible, whether it's digital or a paper Bible, to have something to write on and something to write with. I know we live in a digital age, so you might have to get your thumbs warmed up, but we want you to be equipped. We want you to be aware. We want you to be informed because this is not just about coming to hear an inspirational TED Talk and then having a very joyful lunch, but about being equipped to be who God's called us to be. So that being said, just going to give you some background. So first of all, when we talk about the authorship of the book of 1 John, it is by most scholars attributed to John the Apostle, John who also wrote the Gospel of John and was the self-proclaimed disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that John refers to himself in the Gospel that he wrote, the first eyewitness, the eyewitness account of Jesus that he referred to him as such. I'm just saying, if I was inspired by the Holy Spirit, I might be, might be inspired to refer to myself in the same way. But it is most attributed to him, and one of the major characteristics and why we see this and why it's, he's given credit for it is because of the similarities in writing styles and context and the approach that we see not only in the gospel of John, but also in these three epistles, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. You'll see as we unpack uh, the, the passage this morning, there's a lot of parallels that are involved. More than likely, when we think about the date and location, we believe that, and, and the scholars through the, tra- through the transcripts that have been found and identified that more than likely this took place after Jerusalem had been destroyed and uh, John, along with many others in the faith, had kind of set up camp in Ephesus, which would be modern-day western Turkey. And so he is writing this and really not just writing it as a letter, as a regular letter, as maybe we've seen Apostle Paul writes specific letters to Timothy or specific letters to a specific church, but rather it's kind of a combination of, uh, we see poetic themes in here as there's kind of recurring motifs throughout the, throughout the book, but kind of a charge to the whole body of Christ. Now, to give you a bit of a backdrop, during this time that John is writing this, there had been some who had begin to drift off or splinter off from the way or from the Christian faith. And what had happened is there was kind of the, the early stages of Gnosticism, which is basically this religious belief where knowledge and information is more so the higher uh, aspiration and not so much the person of Jesus. And so what had been happening is the personhood of Jesus and the need to be redeemed through the sacrifice of Jesus was being diminished by some who had been in the church and had been splintering off. And now, basically, the greater good or the greater focus was that you could be redeemed or we, have, we have find our salvation through a revelation of the inner light inside of us, the divine light inside of us that is acquired by acquiring more and more information. And so rather than speak directly to this schism that had been taking place in the church, John doesn't focus all of his energy on trying to be against something. Sometimes when we face different cultural challenges and there are tensions, and there will always be tensions because the reality is there is a battle between light and darkness. We live in a fallen world, and even though we, we know that the, the, uh, we do not fight against flesh and blood, there are supernatural issues, and there is an enemy that we face that is working in among and every system that we find ourselves in. And so we must recognize that as long, if, if you have this vision of peace and a vision of unity, as I believe Black, the uh, Black Mamba once said, Kobe, he says, how do you achieve peace? War. And when you look at the end of the story, when Christ redeems all things and we're in the peaceable kingdom, it comes as a result of him conquering the enemy. And so what we need to know is we are born in the midst of a conflict. We are born in the midst of a tension and there's always going to be the temptation when you find that, when there's a clash of ideas, a cr- clash of understanding. We can really quickly get on 
the offensive and attack people and, and make ourselves known by what we are against. Now, there comes a time where you do have to draw a line in the sand. He said, you know what? I'm not down with that. However, I love that what John does is he actually, rather than write a series of letters about everything he's against, he says, guys, I want to remind us what we're for. I, I want to take, this is what John is saying, he says, I, 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 want to write, I want to remind you what we're in this for, who it is that we worship, who it is that we're here to serve, why it matters, and what has he done to change the way in which we live and change the future that we're going to build toward. And so that's really the heart of what First John is about, is saying we got to get back to the basics. Now, this morning, we're going to start right at the beginning, First John 1, 1 through 4. I'm going to read our opening passage, and uh, then we'll continue. So let's go ahead and turn there. First John. It's going to be near the back if you're trying to navigate through your Bible. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made a way through your son Jesus that we don't just have to stand back and stand in awe of you, but that we can actually participate in fellowship with you. Lord, I ask this morning that you would help me, Holy Spirit, that you would help me to clearly communicate this truth, that you would help all those that are under the sound of my voice to be able to receive your truth and that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word. Help us, help us to set our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kayla. Go ahead and turn your attention uh, to the screens. If you look at chapter 4, Nehemiah, they were busy building the wall. That was God's will. This was something very important that they do. This was the call. This is what God wanted them to do. But the very work of God separated them. Not because the work's bad. It might be just you're just doing your job on your part of the wall, but that relational drift happens. I think with us, the very work we do, the idea that we're scattered in over 70 nations can pull us apart. It's important for relational reconnection. It doesn't mean there was some bad relationship before, but these times you come together and something good happens and then you go and you go back about your business. Spiritually, that was what this trumpet call was. That's what we're doing every three years globally is why we have a world conference. It's sounding a trumpet saying, let's come gather for a few days and reconnect with God, with one another, and then let's go back to our place on the wall and let's do what we do. Now, for those of you who don't know, City of Lights is a part of a global spiritual family called Every Nation Ministries. Every Nation Ministries, you know, if from a, uh, I guess, a legal standpoint would be recognized as a denomination if that helps you understand it. But it really is a lot more than just organizational structure. We believe one of our core values within every nation is spiritual family. God's called us to build relationally together. These are spiritual aunts and uncles and cousins and, and, and everything in between. And one of the things that I love and I got connected to when I got connected to this spiritual family back in uh, 2000. No, it wasn't 19. It was a 2000. 
and uh, was connecting through these conference moments. And that was a bit of a promo for our world conference, which is this year in Orlando. How many of you, just by a quick show of hands, are going to Orlando for the, for the world conference? Come on, come on, somebody. Um, I'm telling you, this, it's going to be an incredible, incredible time. I remember the first time that I got to go and be a part of this. It was in uh, Anaheim, California, and people from every nation gathering together, worshiping together. Uh, It it was one of the most beautiful previews of heavenly worship that I have ever encountered. And one of the things, you know, I've had some great moments along the way. One of the conferences is where I got engaged, so that one worked out really well for me. Um, and has, has produced much fruit. Um, the shop is closed now, but the fruit has been great. Um, but uh, one of my favorite, all-time favorite encounters was in 2007. Our world conference was in Manila, Philippines. And it happened to be, ho- it was hosted at the Araneta Coliseum, which was the home of the famous Rumble in the Jungle. Uh, and um, standing... On the stage, I had the honor and the privilege of serving with the worship team at this conference. And I remember, one, the worship team was made of people from all over the place. I mean, from, you know, Iran to uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, to Auckland, New Zealand, to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. God bless Murfreesboro. And it was, but looking out at 16,000 faces all different tribes and tongues singing out to Jesus, hearing the sounds of worship, filling that, that uh, auditorium and filling that arena. It was just, I mean, it wasn't just something you hear. It was just something you behold. You feel it in your bones. And I will never forget that encounter. And, I, you know, uh, if you've ever been in one of those special moments or a special encounter, whether it was an event Maybe it was someone that's very dear to you, and you know, okay, man, I'm not going to get a lot of these moments. You just kind of pause, and you try to take a mental snapshot, say, okay, I don't want to forget this. I want to remember this moment. You know, whenever we have a conference moment, or whether it's a conference moment, or whether it's a, uh, a, a holiday like Memorial Day, or just a summertime family picnic. The thing about these moments and why they're so valuable is because it takes, it allows us to have space to remember what matters. It allows us to have space to pause for a second and to remember why we're running this race. Why does it matter? What is it that we're doing? What's the main focus and what is it that we're building Towards It can be so easy just in the pace of life, in, in the pace of all of the challenges that we face throughout the week, opposing opinions, challenges, uh, just being driven by the uh, tyranny of the urgent. We can so often lose sight and become confused about what it is we're a part of or why we're doing what we're doing. Maybe if you grew up within a religious space, you've been going to church on Sunday at a certain time for so long. It's like when you, I don't know if you, if you, anybody's like me, I grew up in the church and usually, you know, we were serving in one capacity. And back in the day, like you had church so many times during the week. You had like church on Sunday morning and then you went home and you came back for church on Sunday night. Then there was like Wednesday night service. Then there was Saturday morning intercessory prayer. Like, you just had frequent ultra miles all week, right? I wish I would have got, like, bonus miles on that card. But you go so often that when you have a Sunday where you don't go, all of a sudden you start itching. Like, what's wrong? Right? You just, you can get just in the routine, and after a while, you forget why you're going in the first place. Or why are you doing it in the first place? You just, you do it out of reaction. There's been moments, I remember going to the Indiana Black Expo, and, you know, sometimes you just do things, and you don't even know why you're doing it, but you do it because everybody else is doing it. So, like, one of the things that you just learn over time, I think this is probably a survival instinct, but, you know, notoriously, I'll just speak to this culturally, if you watch horror movies, one of the reasons, one of the unique distinctions between those with a little bit more melanin and those who are lacking it is curiosity. You know, it's like, 
If I see a glowing red light with smoke coming out of the kitchen, those that lack such would say, hmm, I wonder what that is. Let me go check that out. Those of us who are more on the shaded side would look at that and go, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and so at the Indiana Black Expo, I remember there are multiple times where, you know, if you start seeing people like walk with like a quick pace and start running, you typically don't go, man, I wonder where they're running from. Let me go check that. And I was like, oh, hey, all right. And I remember one time we just started running. And after a while, we're like, why are we still running? I don't know, man. I, I didn't see it, but they were running. And so I was running. And I don't even know why we're running. And we can kind of do that in the same way from a spiritual sense is where we kind of just we start running and we start moving and we start getting into this thing. And it's a good thing. We, we ought to encourage each other. We're in this together. We've talked about it. It's about family. But after a while, sometimes you can be doing religious motions and actually forget why we're do- Why are we doing this? What's it for? What are we building for? Because if you don't know why, you're just going on a long jog. And then when you get tired and when it gets hard, you lack the constitution to endure. The early church had to endure some stuff. When your buddies start getting murdered and start being executed for standing up for the faith, you start reevaluating and be like, okay, did we see what we thought we saw? Did he really do that? No, he did. I was there. They start reevaluating and making sure that they saw what they saw and heard what they heard and experienced what they experienced. Why? Because it cost them something. Now, I also don't want us to be deceived. There are people who very clearly understand the cost of following Jesus. We just don't experience that severity at large here in the U.S. Make no mistake, there are people daily who are giving their lives to follow Jesus. Not just in an ethereal sense or a spiritual. I gave my life to the Lord. Yes, they, gave, they literally were killed for their faith. And so when we take these times and we have these moments where we look at the context of what John is writing here is he's recognizing, guys, I don't want us to lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing. This wasn't just something that we made up because we were bored. We didn't just come up with a cool spiritual game to keep us busy. We didn't just come up with a a, a unique ideology that would uplift us and uplift the oppressed. No, this is about a God that loved us so deeply. It's about a separation that came because of our sin that we couldn't close the gap. But God in his love and his mercy came in his son Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect, sinless life that none of us could live. None of us were worthy enough. You couldn't go to school long enough. You couldn't be smart enough. You couldn't be strong enough. You couldn't be kind enough. Nothing would satisfy the debt. Nothing could close the gap but Jesus. So he's reminding us, why is it that we're doing what we're doing? We open up 1 John. One of the things that you'll see at the beginning of it, for those of you who maybe have read the Gospel of John, is you'll notice that there's some similar language at play. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, we see this interaction where John is talking about in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. He's unpacking the incarnation of God. God coming into the Word, the Word, the Logos being made flesh in Christ. Now, in 1 John chapter 1, he's not pointing to that specific encounter. One would say it this way, is that in the gospel, we read about the incarnation of God, and in the epistle, we read about the manifestation of his work in the earth, where John is reminding everyone, hey, this faith, this way, this walk, it came from Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
So I just want to focus my time on really a couple main focuses of setting up this series, setting up this book. Really, the first point is this. John's declaration to a church who is wondering, why are they leaving? What's going on? What do we believe? Is Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Look at somebody say, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. John's point is he saying, hey, guys, I want to make sure that we understand this particularly to a crowd that is thinking that you are saved and you are sanctified by your own knowledge and awareness of the divine light inside of you. Follow your heart. He's saying, not one of us could pull this off. Not one of us were good enough or spiritual enough. Y'all remember Paul? Paul was, he was the rabbi of rabbis. He wasn't good enough. Jesus did it. Don't get it twisted. Then he goes a little bit further and says, what do you mean Jesus did it? Who are you to say, oh, now we know John, John was probably one of those guys. Have you ever had a friend that had an incredible gift of rebuking? Now, this is what I mean about that. I'm not talking about like the gift. Some of y'all need to know being a jerk is not a fruit of the Spirit. Like jerkiness is not like one of the untold fruit of the Spirit. But there's a gift. And what I mean by gift is somebody can rebuke you, but you thank them like it's a sneaky rebuke. Like they rebuke you and you're like, man, if somebody else said it, I'd be mad, but I want to give you a hug and I'm crying right now. Like I feel like that was John. Like, because John, you know, he was like, he was a disciple Jesus loved. John, John was, he, he was close to, to Jesus' mother. He cared for her. He was a nice guy, but I feel like he just kind of had those little sneaky, little sneaky rebukes. But what he does is he sets this thing up at the beginning, just in case y'all get it twisted. I beheld him. He's reminding them multiple times within four verses This Jesus that I speak of is not somebody that I heard from a friend that 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 might have got some fish and chips. No, no, no. He's saying, I heard him. His voice called to me at the shipping port. I sat with him around the fire. I went to the tomb where his body once was and was now no more. When he revealed himself among the disciples, and I actually went and I looked for myself at the holes in his hands. I saw myself, the wound in his side, and I sat under his teaching as the resurrected Christ reminded us the charge that we were going to be given and the glory that awaited John experienced and saw not only Jesus walking on the earth, but the risen Savior. He's saying this Jesus wasn't just a guy out there. I knew him. He is verified. You know, we can, the internet is a scary place. And not everybody's Twitter account or Instagram account is who they say they are. How many of you, if you ever get a follow, you're like, if if you got a follow and it's like in a different language and has a bunch of numbers, delete and decline, okay? Nobody in Russia, you do not have a fan base in Russia, okay? There are certain things that are unverified. Jesus was verified. He knew him. When you look throughout even world religions and historically, nobody that has any sense can deny the existence of Jesus. He has been verified in multiple religions. They did not kill him because he was a nice teacher. They killed him because he said he was the son of God. He was crucified not just because he existed. You can't deny he existed. But it's about seeing him and recognize that he didn't just speak a good game, but he actually was who he said he was, and he did what he said he would do. 
John is telling them, guys, I was there. I saw it. This is the real deal. Now, when I think about him giving this exhortation and reminding people, I just think to myself, like, if I were there, all I would really, I mean, you always can say coulda, woulda, shoulda. I know some of us have been like, man, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't eat that fruit. Whatever. You'd have done something else dumber. Right? But I didn't eat the fruit. I just hung out under the shade of the tree and it just fell in my mouth. I don't know. We all hot messes. So then I could easily say, man, if I was there and I just heard John, I'd have been like, man, you touched him. I'm down. Let's go. I, I kind of, you know, I, I think I might be wired that way. But I just think, like, why, why would you be okay with believing a counterfeit? Like, if you could have the real thing, if you could follow the real Jesus, why would you be swayed by something else? And then I think about sushi. Now, some of you got, you got excited about the sushi. Now, I don't know if you all are avid sushi people. I feel like we've got, like, more sushi bars that pop up in Indiana. It's like sushi and pubs all of a sudden exploding in the Midwest. God bless it. It's like a bunch of West Coast and East Coast people flooded, and they were like, man, where can we get raw fish and drink more? And boom, we will help you. Um, but, you know, I was like, I'm not like, I, I've been like a sushi coward for, for a while, much of my life, but I found the sushi gateway drug. The sushi gateway drug was California roll, right? You're like rice, seaweed. It's like, it's just green. It's, a, it's salty. We're good. And, you know, you got like a little bit of cucumber, maybe some avocado. We're down with the avocado. It's like the good fat. You know, I don't discriminate fats. I don't mind them all, but, but it's the good fat. But then what was, what's supposed to be in there, what's supposed to be is crab, Right? That's what's supposed to be in there. But when I bought, you know, I'd had it at a restaurant, a friend of mine, I, I went to a restaurant with a friend. I didn't order the sushi. I probably, like, ordered, you know, General So's, like the American Chinese. So I ordered General So's. They had some sushi. I was like, you know what? I didn't pay for it. They're not going to eat it. I'll just try it. So I tried it. It was delicious. I loved it. But then I thought, one day I was, like, at Kroger. I thought, man, let me get some sushi. Why not? I'm going to try it. So I go and I buy a little pack of sushi and start looking at the ingredients. And I look at everything, but then when it came to the crab, it said something unique. It said, magic crab. <laughs> I, it caught me off guard. I was like, what is it? Y'all dealing magic over there? Like, do we got Chef Morimoto over there making sushi and just at the end, like, got, like, magic bay? Just... <laughs> And so I thought, man, if I'm eating magical stuff, this is magically delicious. I need to go find out what kind of voodoo is in this crab. And then I wished I never looked behind the curtain. <laughs> Have any of y'all, like, you were fascinated when you were a kid by a magic trick, and then you found out how they did it, and you're like, daggum. Man, I like being ignorant. I started to investigate to magic crab. Basically, magic crab is essentially like sushi hot dogs. They take all the leftover bits, they grind it down, throw a little MSG, little seasoning, pack it up, make it look like little crab legs, and then they just magically put it in your food. And do you know how many people are eating that fake magic crab? A lot. Why do they do it? Because it's cheap. It's so much cheaper than actually putting real crab. I don't know what Kroger, Kroger y'all might have upped your game. Um, there's no accusation. If anybody is listening to this podcast that is working for Kroger, God bless you. Pray for your families. But that time, it was magical. Why would you want to follow an imitation Jesus? You know about magic crab? It's cheap. It doesn't cost as much. You didn't actually, it, you didn't have to pay as much. You didn't have to make a focused and intentional sacrifice. You just, whatever bits we got, let's just put them together and just grind them up and 
People will eat it. We get fed that stuff culturally all the time. We don't just get fed it. We look for it. When I saw how much it cost to, like, like get real sushi, I was like, I'm going to Kroger. I don't want to pay it. John is reminding us, hey, guys, as we start getting into these weeks, he talks about what does it mean to walk in the light. You realize, man, following Jesus costs something. It's costly. And yet, Jesus paid it all. And yet, it's in him that my joy has been made complete because God didn't spare any expense. My prayer during this next seven weeks, I truly pray that each and every one of us are brought to a moment where we pause and maybe even go, whew. I got to surrender that. Yes, it is going to cost that. Yes, you are going to have to surrender that bitterness. Yes, God wants you to bring that unforgiveness. Yes, he is calling you to a career change. Yes, he actually wants you to receive his love and stop walking in self-hate. My prayer is that this word is going to bring us all to a place of counting the cost and recognizing that if we want the fullness of joy that Jesus purchased for us, we got to stop chasing imitations because they're cheaper. we got to stop settling for scraps and the spiritual hot dogs that the world is feeding us. It bothers me. It grieves me. It just, it makes me angry to see how easily accessible fake Christianity is, imitation salvation is. You're not going to hear me start going down the names of churches and pastors. I'm not about that. I'm not here to broadcast like all that I'm against. What bothers me is that people will partake in a fake but have the expectations of the real thing and then be found disappointed and blame him. I tried that. It didn't work. You didn't try the real thing. John is calling them. He is reminding them. He is drawing them to remember why is it that we're on this journey in the first place? Who is the cornerstone? Who is the author and the finisher of our faith? It is Jesus. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but one of the things I think about when I hear about John getting to experience and walk with Jesus, the person that wrote, when we're talking about John, who wrote this, He witnessed Jesus. He saw Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. And I think to myself, man, I wish I could do that. I mean, John got to walk with Jesus in the flesh, pre-resurrection, post-resurrection. He got to be in the room where a girl was dead and Jesus just speaks and says, wake up. And then she wakes up. Man, what if I could experience him? And though we will have to wait till Christ returns to fully experience him in all his fullness of his glory, we actually can experience him in the here and now. He's given us his word. Jesus is the word. This isn't just a random book that somebody wrote together. This isn't like just comparable to J.K. Rowling's finest works or C.S. Lewis or whoever you deem worthy of reading and collecting and having this in your bookshelf. This is the divinely inspired word of God. Spirit breathed. If you want to know the person of Jesus, you have every bit of access. And not even this, you just open up your phone 
If you have a smartphone, you have more access to the scriptures than any apostle ever did. We have more access to the goodness and the faithfulness and the truth of God. And not only the truth of God, but the way God has bounced and resonated in men and women throughout the years. When I think, I, I had a box of New Testaments in Arabic that was given to me. I don't speak Arabic. I studied a little bit in Middle Eastern studies. It has been taking up space in my garage, and we are clearing out my garage. And I got this box. I'm like, man, I just need, I need to take it somewhere. And to be honest, just my flesh was like, man, I just need to get rid of this box. I don't speak Arabic. I need to get it to somebody, but I'm just trying to clear out. Can I just, should I just toss it? And the moment I could even get the thought, even just the thought out, I was reminded of my friend who spent over two years living in a Palestinian refugee camp where God had placed him in this unique space and would give, in the course of the time he was there, there were over 12 young teenage boys who had had dreams and visions of Jesus. And in their dream... God would show them this guy, my friend, who is just a funny guy. He's a great guy, but there was a, he's going to tell you about him. And so they show up. And I think of how precious it was to be able to receive the word of God. I think of the many Chinese leaders and disciples who have smuggled Bibles like precious gold, like the most valuable heirloom, and presented it to those walking in the faith. And that's all we got. That's all they have. People who've been killed transporting that. I think of freed slaves who had been given partial Bibles that were absent of everything about redeeming, everything about, uh, everything about the year of Jubilee, everything about the exodus of God coming to set the captives free, was removed out of these false Bibles and given to slaves by their master to manipulate them and to control them. And yet some, when they finally read the scripture, the whole gospel came in a moment of thanksgiving and presented the full gospel to Abraham Lincoln to say thank you. I think of this scripture and then I think of the fact that right now in your pocket is over a hundred translations and how in thousands upon thousands of commentaries, thousands upon thousands of Bible studies and we can't open it for five minutes. And then we have the audacity to say, God, where are you? Take him out of your pocket. You can experience him for yourself. He's made himself available to you. Not just through his word, through his spirit. Do you know that through the Holy Spirit we have something that Moses didn't have? Moses got to watch it. We get to be filled with the spirit. We get to walk in the spirit. He's made himself known, not just through his word, not just through his spirit. But you say, I, I want to feel him. I need flesh and blood. Well, I'm so glad you said that because when John is talking about having fellowship with us, I want to read this again. <laughs> when he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. What is he saying is, I know you might not have been there to see him. But when you hear the testimony of Christ and when you receive him as both Lord and Savior, the way he desires to be seen, then even if you weren't there at the foot of the cross where I was, even if you weren't there at the empty tomb like I was, even if you didn't feel the wounds in his hands like I did, you get to share in this gospel with me. You get to share through the fellowship of the brethren. 
Have I seen the face of Jesus face to face the way I want to when he returns? No, but I've seen his face in the eyes of a man who I'd never seen before, I didn't know before. But in a moment of prayer at the altar, he looked at me and said, I don't know why God told me to tell you this, but he wants you to know you're going to be a great father and a great dad. God knew I needed to hear that in that moment. So he said, you know what? I got flesh and blood for you. Maybe it looked like somebody who invited you to a city group, somebody you met for lunch. He said, you know what, God? I'm sick and tired of this situation. I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, I'm going to give you a shot. If I can find somebody that will invite me to a church service that starts at 10 o'clock, I might show up. And then two hours later, what does he do? He puts you at lunch with somebody that invites you to church that starts at 10 o'clock. We can experience him. Next week, at the potluck, if y'all think it's about food, you're not even getting it. It's about inviting people to see flesh and blood, to be the hands and feet, to have a space of fellowship, to call greatness, to speak life, to shine light. The reason that I want us to be filled when we come, and I don't want you to just stare at me or stare at the praise team when you walk in, is because it doesn't change Indianapolis for you to just be another spectator at an event. God wants to, we want you to get connected with the Spirit of God so that when he fills you, it doesn't just bide you. It's not just about satisfying your spiritual or religious appetite for seven days. It's about you being filled with the Spirit and transformed so that when you step back into work tomorrow, it's not just you, but it's the presence of God that went with you. It's not just you, but it's the Word that is now abiding on the inside of you. It's changing you. John reminds us, Jesus did it. He reminds us and he exhorts, I saw it for myself. And he says we can share it. How do we share it? How do we partake? How do we receive this Jesus? Well, first of all, we really, really what it comes down to is we've got to receive him for who he said he is. Y'all hear me this morning? You hear me this morning? We've got to receive him for what he says about himself. He is Lord. That means he is king. He is God. He didn't just say that he was a king. He said he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What does that mean? He has all authority. What does that practically mean, Pastor John, in my life? I'm so glad you asked. It means his opinion matters more than yours. It means as inspirational as that book that you read from that person who has as many degrees as they do days of the year, his opinion is better than theirs. His opinion is greater and carries more weight and has more internal significance than that person you're trying to impress. And to receive him is to receive him as Lord. We quickly want to receive somebody. We love receiving Savior. Pay my bills. Pay my bills. Somebody, a friend of mine, she wrote this little rap back in the day. <laughs> and she said, she just made it real plain. She said, Jesus, my provider, tuition check rider. I said, I can testify the tuition check. We love that, Lord. Pay my bills. I know there was a bunch of people trying to go find enrollment to, to the university where my man just paid, just was like, hey, we're going to cover all of y'all college expenses. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to take a summer class. Um, we love that. But we have to receive him as Lord. That means surrender. That means he's just not a good teacher. In fact, if he is if he made these claims and yet he is not who he said he was, then he's not a good teacher. He's a liar. Receive him as Lord. We also got to receive him as Savior. And part of receiving him as Savior is actually recognizing that you have a need that you can't meet. 
You will never be smart enough. You will never put enough volunteer hours in to earn your way to forgiveness of sin. I was trying to clean some sneakers this week, and I got just so frustrated because I got, like, I got all the stuff. I got my special, like, sneaker brush. I was putting that elbow grease in it. I just had a stain. It didn't matter how many times I was scrubbing. It would not come out. And I'm like, it was almost like it was in it. It wasn't just on it, but it was in it. I'm like, man, how do I get in it? The stain of sin is not just on you. It was in you. You can't scrub it off. The only thing that could happen is Jesus to come to take all that sin and wash you clean. We've got to receive him. If we're going to receive him as king, if we're going to receive him as rescuer, it requires us not just to recognize who he is, but to repent. To turn, to say, God, I've sinned. I'm broken. I, I've not been following you. I've, I've settled and my appetite has been trained for magic, Jesus. For imitation, Jesus. For a form of spirituality that I can control, and yet I am not in control. Repentance is turning from living life my way however I want to, when I want to, following Christianity-ish based on my terms, treating this walk of faith like a buffet where I could just get a little bit of that, get a little bit of that, oh, I don't really like, I don't have an appetite for that. Repentance is saying, no. You're the boss. You're the king. You're the rescue. I couldn't save myself. So I'm going to probably fall quite a few times. I'm learning how to walk after you. But I'm not going back. No, I'm not going back to that. I know where that leads me. I want you. This morning, I, I believe that there are many of you in here who genuinely have given your life to Jesus at one point or another. Some of you may be in a very honest and transparent and authentic moment as a child. I don't diminish that at all. I gave my life to the Lord when I was a child. And yet I am fully aware that as I grew up and as I acquired more things in life, that I made a choice not to surrender some of those things. Regardless of what was done to me or around me, there came a point where I was presented an opportunity to surrender that to Jesus, and I said, ah, I'm going to hold on to that. And so there's, you might come to church and you might still hold to some of those spiritual truths and tenets. Maybe you can recite the catechism better than any of them, and yet your heart you have placed a fortress around and you only give Jesus temporary or occasional visitation rights. I want you to have an opportunity today to fling the door open. Sometimes we call it just rededication. So he backslid. Just receive him. Wherever you've been, wherever you found yourself, receive him today as Lord and Savior. You say, man, I've never done that before. I've been going my own way. In fact, that's how I was raised. You got to make your own way. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't complain. Suck it up. Be a man. And you have no clue what you're doing. The pain is numbing. The constant sense of rejection and never being enough constantly rings in your ear. No matter how successful you are, no matter how many degrees, how many accolades, you still feel 
like that rejected child. Wherever you are on the spectrum, today is an opportunity to receive him. Hear the call. Repent. Receive him today. Would you bow your heads? Father, you are so gracious and you are so loving. And the sheer fact that people are here today and they're in this room to hear the preaching of your word and to receive your goodness, to be offered salvation because of what was purchased for them is a testament of your love. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move upon hearts right now, not because of smooth speech, not because of emotional preaching, not because of the playing of instruments, but that you would move to them divinely by the move of the Spirit to transform them, to draw them to you. First of all, if you're here, keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I, get, I, I did give my life to the Lord at one time, but I just, <laughs> at some point, I've been running and I've forgotten why I did it. And starting right here and right now, with my sound mind and in my right mind, I want to fully receive Jesus as my king and my rescuer. He's the boss. He's the Savior. I can't save myself. I need him, and I want to walk and follow after him. If that is your declaration, if that is your prayer this morning, just raise your hand where you are. I just want to pray for you. I see that hand. Come on, step out encouraged. Step out in faith. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I thank you for the courage of those people that have raised their hand. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are right there to meet them. Lord, your word says that you give grace to the humble, Lord. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And even as they have humbled themselves to raise their hand where they sit, to acknowledge, I need you, oh, I need you, Lord, I pray that you would transform them right there and right now. Just pray this with me. And everybody can pray this prayer as your eyes are closed. You say, Jesus. Come on, say it with more faith than that. Say, Jesus, I receive you now as both Lord and Savior, King and Rescuer. I could not save myself but you freely gave your life for my sin. And you rose in power victoriously, conquering sin and offering life for me. Father, we thank you for that. Now, if you're here this morning and that's the first time you've ever prayed that and you believe it, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the scripture tells us that you will be saved. I want to challenge you. If you raised your hand to rededicate your life or if, you raised, or if you've confessed this prayer as an act of surrender, please do not leave here without coming to City Central and connecting with someone. It is in him that our joy is made complete, as John says in the fourth verse. It is in Jesus, it's in fellowship with him, that our joy is made complete. And we want everyone to experience that joy. Lord, help us. Help us to walk in you, walk in your joy. Help us to receive you as all that you are. And Lord, I ask over these next few weeks, Lord, that you would remind us, that you would illuminate to us what it means to walk this out, to walk in your light, to walk in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give him praise this morning?
Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.